There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and this episode is with Chaz Lichardello. You can follow him on Twitter. He's got two accounts, Chaz Lich, C-H-A-S-L-I-C-C, or Chaz underscore USA. More about Chaz in a moment. This episode is brought to you by the fantastic supporters of the show at patreon.com slash Osher, patreon.com slash O-S-H-E-R, all the people that are supporting for at least five bucks a month, uh, getting access to exclusive episodes. Um, I did get a few emails this week saying some people haven't got the exclusives. I try to check up on all of them. Uh, Do check your spam folder uh, for any emails that came through. I sent them all out last week. There's a, a... about this, at this point, there's about a, a new uh, exclusive coming out every single month. But uh, uh, please check your spam folder. If you can't access the uh, episode, do let me know. Send Osher email at gmail.com. For as little as five bucks a month, you get access to those exclusive episodes. The most recent one with Maz Compton, which is a cracker where we do talk about, oh, goodness, faith and God and the community and making the world a better place by starting within yourself. And, oh, it's a it's a goodie. Uh, but uh, if you can't afford five bucks, don't give me five bucks. If you can only afford one buck a month, that everything helps. Everything helps bring this show uh, to uh, to you every single week. I, I frankly and I'm, am unable, completely unable to make the show without Patreon. So if Patreon, if all those people 
who uh, support me uh, stopped tomorrow, uh, this show would stop tomorrow. So without you, uh, there is no show. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank uh, you. If you do want to support the show, every little bit helps. And the more support I get, the, the better the show becomes. Uh, hopefully I'm going to... Uh, get enough funds through to, to start hiring a show producer who is going to be able to help me to coordinate guests and and organize uh, scheduling between myself and the guests, which is a bit difficult sometimes. When you start getting into the higher profile guests, you really need someone on that gig uh, on, a, on a more active basis because I can't really keep up with changing schedules. It can get tough. Uh, but thank you so, so much. As I said, do send me an email anytime you like. Send your email at gmail.com. I read every one of them. I don't reply to all of them. Um, I read as many. I read everyone, but I, I reply to as many as I possibly can. Uh, so yeah, thanks heaps. Um, if you do like the show, a great way to support the show without giving me any money at all is um, just tell someone. Tell someone you like the show. Tell them you might, hey, this episode, you might check it out. Grab their phone. Show them how to download a podcast. That's the best compliment you could ever give me. So uh, thank you so, so, so much. I hope your week was good. I had a bit of a, a massive breakthrough this week. Uh, the new meds finally kicked in. Thank goodness. Uh, for those of you who are, who, are, who are new to the show, you may have heard um, if you've been listening for a while, but if this is your first episode, hi. Um, I changed meds about five or six weeks ago, maybe a little longer. And um, in the world of um, uh, psychiatric medication, the meds aren't like a Panadol or an ibuprofen or a acetaminophen. It's not like you take it and 20 minutes later things are okay. Well, some meds are like that, but they're the really super sedating ones. Uh, no, a, a, lot, a lot of meds take a while to kick in they take a while for your brain to go oh oh okay we're doing things this way now fine all right takes a little while but boy the transition was abrasive to say the least i've got to thank <laughs> i've got to thank uh, audrey and all the people i work with for giving me the the latitude to be a little odd for a while there <laughs> but uh new meds have finally kicked in and i knew this because uh yesterday i had two really big triggers that otherwise would have completely freaked me out and i had a uh, a reasonable reaction all right so it, it is reasonable to feel concerned about the things that do trigger me that's a reasonable reaction uh but in the past for the last like two years of my life when i do get triggered i'm overwhelmed with the feeling of what i grab complete strangers by the shoulders and shake them and scream at them and warn them that the world is ending today and what the fuck are we doing here we've got to fuck what the fuck we've got to go now shit's about to we're all about to die um but i didn't want to do that yesterday uh which i've got to tell you makes going to the shops a lot easier Okay, trying to do your grocery shopping while well, just going, okay, uh, thanks, Brain. I appreciate that you want me to grab this nice man next, next to me, just trying to squeeze avocados uh, and, and shake him and, and, and uh, you know, chastise him for what the fuck are you doing squeezing avocados? The world's about to end and what are you, what are you doing wasting your time? You should go and hug your loved ones. Um, no, I can just squeeze the avocados next to him, which is a real bonus, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> Uh, it does take a while, but for me, it was worth it. Uh, now I'm just kind of working because the balance here, when when you talk about meds like this, uh, meds that you've got to be on for for life, 
uh, it's a balance of effects versus side effects, benefits versus side effects. So at the moment, I'm just, there are other side effects, the sexual side effects is my mouth is super dry. And then both of those are a bit ordinary and I can work on them. I can figure those out, but I'd rather be thirsty and sane than hydrated and crazy, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, things are a bit better this week. Um, don't worry, next week it probably will be shit again, but that's fine. It's all going to be all right. Um, thank you so much for watching Bachelor. If you're in Australia, you can watch The Bachelor on Wednesday and Thursday nights or on 10 Play or whenever you want. It's so, so lovely to see everyone enjoying the show. And uh, for whatever reason that you enjoy the show, I'm grateful that you enjoy the show because it is my secret mission to bring strangers together through the power of talking about this show because community is what makes us a safer, safer place. If we're all together as a community, we have a safe and lovely time. If we're fractured and freak out and think everyone's strangers, then shit gets frightening. So I hope you're enjoying it. It's super fun making it. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really grateful to everybody that writes a recap or does a podcast or uh, there's some, a couple of really good Bachelor podcasts out there actually and it's quite, it's quite fun to listen to them. Uh, so thank you very much for all the, the, the fans that make this show are the, the reason that I, I love making this show. It's just the, just the best and uh, I can't wait for you to see how it, how it pans out because it's a really good season this year. Um, let me tell you about my guest today. I am, as you'll hear, very, very happy to finally, finally get this man on the show. I've been waiting a long, long time. Chasley Chardello is a part of the incredibly successful Australian satire collective called The Chaser. At the moment, you can see Chaz every week on the ABC. He's on a show called The Checkout. But for over 15 years, The Chaser have been calling out hypocrisy, pointing out lies, and just general calling out general bloviating by our public figures and corporations and either making us laugh or be outraged while they do it because they do both and that is sensational they are never one to shy away from commitment to a joke and no one more so than Chaz as you'll hear in this conversation Chaz has been arrested numerous times he's received death threats he's even been assaulted by strangers in the street all for the sake of a joke that he made but it doesn't stop him from keeping going and you'll hear, all, you'll hear all about why. He's a fascinating guy. I've, As you'll hear, I've been waiting a very, very long time to do this interview. And I could not be more happy that it's precisely now and precisely how that we made this interview happen. So uh, thank you for your time, Chaz. Thank you for your time for listening. Uh, if you like the show, throw Chaz out a tweet. If you really like the show, pick up someone else's phone, show them how to download a podcast and get them to listen to it. Um, thanks heaps. Uh, oh, before I go, uh, a big super thanks heaps to everybody that sent me a photo of where they listened to the show this week. That was the greatest. Um, you can, uh, send me a photo. You can tag me on Instagram. You can send it to me in, uh, Snapchat, wherever on Twitter. I, I see them all. Um, extra, extra amazing. Thanks to, uh, Grace Elvin, Gracie Elvin, who is a, uh, uh, a cyclist, Grace Sullivan. She's a cyclist in uh, Rio at the moment for the Olympics. Uh, I think as I record this, she's just warming down from a, a big race. Um, but I got this uh, photo of Grace on the back of her bike uh, with Rio in the background. She goes, hey, I'm listening to you out on a training ride. And it was the coolest thing uh, all week. But I've had photos of people kayaking, people doing laundry, people uh, at work. 
just wherever you're listening to this show right now, you're listening to it on a phone, I know. So just pick up that phone, take a photo of what you're looking at. Um, you don't have to be in the photo, I don't mind. Um, and just tag me either on Instagram or Twitter or send it to me on Snapchat, whatever you want to do. Um, it just makes my week. It makes my day to know where you're listening to this show and that I'm getting to be a part of your day is the biggest, biggest honor. All right, enough about that. Let's listen to Chaz. I'm rolling, just so you know. Sure. Just so you know. Sure. Um, Thanks for coming over, man. No worries at all. I'll just make sure this is all off. So um, this is Frank. Frank will probably want to play French Fetch for a while. That's all right. I I like to play Fetch too. (laughs) He's he's six months old, so he's very excited about the world. He hasn't been disappointed yet. Ah, those are the days. I know he has, actually. He's been sorely disappointed. (laughs) He doesn't know how bad it's about to get either. He's still got testicles, but not for much longer. I remember that day too, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) They were good days. Thanks for coming, man. You come nice. armed with your vanilla diet coke. That's right. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'll try, try some right now. Oh. <laughs> mm. oh, yeah. Doesn't get any worse, let me tell you. It's always up there. Oh, yeah. It's 11.2 kilojoules. Mm. Oh, man. What a value for every one of them, let me tell you. When I first started an overnight radio, I was so mm. worried about not being able to stay awake all night. I went down to the Black Thunder cage and just took like 11 cans of diet coke. Icy cold coke? Icy cold, mate. <laughs> yes. And I drank, uh, I drank nine of them during my shift. And did you, did you stay awake? I was so jumpy towards yeah. the end. <laughs> and because it was my first overnight shift, I was in the studio for six hours, I mm. didn't pee because I was so terrified of leaving the room. Did you want to pee? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right, <laughs> okay. Well, in a way, that, that, be, that became sort of classic FM radio then, didn't it? Go, how long can you go without peeing? That's, that's like a breakfast radio start, isn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think those days are gone, certainly where I work. Thank, thank, thankfully, uh, I'm very, very grateful about that. And speaking of which, mm. possibly during this, phone call, during this conversation, I'm going to get a text from my uh, content director in Brisbane about the ratings. So oh, at some point. What are we expecting? Uh, I don't think we'll get to number one, no. but we might. Well, now I'm terribly worried because it's sounding like you're expecting positive news. So, no. it, so you can either be, you can either you can either just be keep stasis or be disappointed. They're the two options for for this phone call. My life these days, Chaz, is yeah. about accepting life on life's terms. <laughs> okay. So, okay. If I'm receiving like, there's terrible news in, in the news this morning. Someone yeah. suicide bombed Medina. Oh, yeah. Like Ramadan's about to end uh-huh. and. Someone has, has kicked sand in the face and spat in the eye of, you know, peaceful Muslims all over the planet by bombing Medina. Mm. Um, I'm getting ratings that may or may not be good <laughs> right. yet. Yeah. My dog's cute. Yeah. You're here. There's <laughs> whales swimming by. That's top five stories. Not every, nice bulletin. Not everything is always terrible. That's true. No, look. look the yeah. world is not 100% awful or 100% awesome. No, I look, that's I, – I get most of my philosophy from football, that the AFL football, which is probably – I'm not sure it's wise, but it's true. And uh, something that football coaches uh, often say is uh, it's, it's never as good as it seems or as bad as it seems. And I think that's true. Do you remember how we first came in contact? Uh, I, I remember us having, having a, a lunch together uh, where, we, where we discussed 
all kinds of politics, which was seemed strange to someone watching us at the time, but since then seems more sensible now. It's a... I don't remember. I don't remember how how that lunch came to be. It was probably strange to somebody watching mm. us at the time because mm. half of your face was a younger man at the time. <laughs> That's the Botox. Yeah. <laughs> you sent me an email. Yeah. Uh, probably about ten years ago. Yeah. yeah. Eight years ago now. Mm. Chaser did the Make a Wish Kids That's right. sketch. Oh, I remember. Yes, and you stood up for us. You were pretty much the only one. Yeah. I was so. Annoyed yeah. at the that was my first taste of the outrage machine, yeah, oh I guess. God. And I felt so incensed. Basically, you guys made it mm. the Make a Wish Kids mm. sketch. You can go and watch it on YouTube if you like, mm. but it's the unspoken punchline that anybody ever thinks about the Make a Wish things. Oh, we mm. better let this kid be an astronaut because mm. he's gonna die soon. Yeah, it's horrible, yeah. but that's why it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's it as, as is often the case with black humor, you take. You take something that is a dark area and you can wallow about it or you can make a joke and th that's making a joke is not, is, not saying, is not saying anything horrible about that dark area. It's just all you can do is laugh. There's no other option. And I was so upset yeah. that these mm. people were just crucifying, just mm. nailing you to the, you know, not even that. I won't mm. even give them that. <laughs> the way I like to picture, and Henry Rollins picked, uh, uh, depicts it perfectly, is that that kind of press is uh, if you remember your uh, um, religious teachings, anyone who was brought up in the Catholic world, um, Jesus got nailed to the cross, but then there was that one little cunt with a long spear who poked <laughs> him in the side going, fuck you, <laughs> while he was nailed to the cross, dying his humiliating death in the beating Middle Eastern sun. Um, well, it was, yeah, it was sun, it was summer. Um, he stuck him with a spear. As in, fuck you. <laughs> and that's what that outrage machine reminds now me of. Now everyone has the spear. Now everyone <laughs> has the spear. Yeah. But I remember being so mm. fucked off. Like, don't you guys see? Because both mm. my parents, and I wrote this, mm. uh, a big blog post about it. Mm. Both my parents were doctors. Um, they're both retired now. But they would come home after a day of like, I would see three people die in front of her. Mm. Children sometimes. Mm. And, you know dad would have to tell someone they're going to die or I'm going to have to, you're going to have to lose your leg and then have to come home and be with their kids. The only way they could process that stuff is through, mm. yeah, it's a funny looking kid. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. He's going to die. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah. only way they could yeah. deal with it. Well, certainly, certainly uh, amongst the feedback we got, and trust me, we got a lot of feedback <laughs> yeah, from that sketch. Amongst the feedback we got, I'd say the vast majority of positive feedback was from people who were associated with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Like who either had, had children who were part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation or the Make-A-Wish Foundation themselves or, the, or people associated in some way where they were going, look, we know it's just a joke. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, we, we all make jokes. It's all right. It's, and other people, and most of the people getting outraged are getting outraged on their behalf. But the people themselves... Not so bad. In fact, the Make-A-Wish Foundation loved it because they had a huge fundraising turn <laughs> as a result of that sketch. <laughs> so it was high times for them, let me tell you. Yeah. But I, I remember yeah. and then I got an email mm. from you. I think you mm. even sent it to my public email address mm. at the time. And mm. I was so excited because I was like, oh, my God, those smart blokes from TV are emailing me. <laughs> This was this was before you were disappointed in life when you yeah. thought that we were the smart blokes from TV. No, no, no. You were, I'll never forget the first time I saw you. You were uh, I was in my kitchen. I was at a house at the other end of Bondi. Mm. It was election two thousand one, and you were doing a uh, an election TV show that seemed like some sort of time travel. And there was a bloke. There was a panel, 
And then because we couldn't cross live to anyone, there was like an old school TV that went dunk, dunk, dunk when you changed the channels sitting on the desk. Yeah. And there was someone who was always in the TV. That, yep, that, that was us. That was, us. That, that was actually just budget restraints. What, <laughs> what were you, 12? Uh, yeah, it, uh, if you look back on it, it's still on YouTube. We certainly look at it, that's for sure. It's uh, especially, oh my God, there are some great mallets. I recommend everyone go back on YouTube and just look at some of those mallets, especially Chris Taylor. If 2001, we're talking about 15 years beyond the mallet, but somehow it survived to 2001 on our show. It was extraordinary. But um, yeah, I've got to say, I, I, yeah, when the Make-A-Wish Foundation thing happened, the, we, were, we were completely under siege. And so all you could do, we were suspended for two weeks. All you could do is just read up about the situation because there was nothing else to do. And like, an, I'm, I, have you been part of an outrage pack yet? I don't, I don't remember. Have you been part of, have you had your own outrages directed at you? Oh. Uh. Since? They try every yeah. now and again. You, you've had a bit, but not the full. No, not I the full blowtorch. Yeah, I haven't yeah, had yeah. the full Magda Zhabanski. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't had the full <laughs> Magda. Right. I think yeah. that's as bad as it got. Yeah. Oh, actually, the full Yumi. Yeah. Yumi was the worst. That was very bad. Without yeah. a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Yumi was absolutely the worst. Yeah. The worst. And it wasn't even her that said it. It was yeah. Negus that said it. But yeah, because yeah. he's a white man, no one gave a shit. That's because a she's call. a smart Asian lady. <laughs> Oh. She had to pull her kids out of school and get the cops called. Yeah, it was no, horrifying. That, yeah, I remember that one. That was a, that was a big one. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when, when you're in that situation, you like, you just kind of feel like you can't do anything. You're like, because, because every, if you go outside, there's people all over you. You go down to the, to the supermarket, there's people all over you. I, I was walking there. I, I like to walk. And, so, and when I feel stress, I walk. And so I went for a walk. I didn't make a wish. And I just had people attacking me. And so I just couldn't do that. People or press? No, people. What people? People get very, very angry when these things. Strangers. Yes, yeah, strangers. I've, I've had, I've had a number of because we've been in a few of these controversies now. And a number of times, I've had people attack me in the street. Physically. Like, yeah, yeah. Punch me from behind. That kind of what? stuff. Yeah, when I'm just walking along the street. Yeah. So you just end up not being able to leave the house for a couple of weeks at least till people forget and move on to the next outrage, whatever it may be. People like wait around and commit assault. Oh, oh, they're not waiting around outside your house, but they just see you walking down the street and they just come after you. Yeah, people get very angry. It's really scary. Yeah, like, and this is something actually, well, during the Make-A-Wish was a great example actually where, where this was the moment that really stood out to me. Um, when me and Andrew were, this is just before we got suspended, right? And so we were still trying to do stunts, which was, <laughs> was just impossible. But um, anyway, and so me and Andrew were sitting in a car about to get, get, try and get someone and we get a phone call from someone saying, um, turn on 2GB right now. We go, okay. So we turn on 2GB and as we turn on 2GB, the first thing we hear is Chris Smith um, saying, okay, he's got, got some caller segment on. We don't know what the caller segment is. We just hear him say, let's do to them what they're doing to Australia. And we go, what's he talking about? And then we realise a second later he is soliciting people to give our address on air. Right? He's saying, who knows where these guys live? And I'm like, Let, let's do to them what they... And we're going to... Now, when he says, let's do to them what they're doing to Australia, does he mean telling jokes? Are people going to appear in our front yard and tell jokes? Because that's what we're doing to Australia. It's just... It's a, it's a scary environment, that kind of a scenario, where you really get the full lynch mob going, right? So all you can do is just read... Read up, right? And so, and when we were doing that, and when I was doing that, reading up, all I was reading was abuse, even from other comedians. And I was going, this is strange because, like, clearly we don't have some anti, anti sick kid agenda. Clearly it's just a joke. Like, like, and literally the only person of any note, and even who of no note, 
who, 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 who said anything positive about us. Even the comments were all negative, apart from you. And I think it's probably still online. Would it be still online? Somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. have a look I'll for it. I'll find the archive. It's somewhere yeah. in a web archive. It was somewhere. just, and so, yeah, and so I, I thought to myself, well, fuck this. I'm going to give this guy. I'm gonna try and contact this guy and thank him because, <laughs> because yeah, like I, I mean, you you were obviously well known yourself, and clearly part of what was causing people to either speak up against us or say nothing was fear. And I said, well, this guy's not afraid of being the spokesperson for for hating sick kids, which is what you were too, you're in danger of doing with that post. And so I thought, yeah, at least give him a. I was hiding in another yeah. country. I was pretty <laughs> You're never safe with the outrage factory, let me tell you. <laughs> but I remember yeah. you explaining to me over that mm. lunch that mm. the punchline of every chaser mm. joke mm. is can we poke the outrage bear? Can we yeah. poke the bear and make the bear say something stupid? <laughs> yes. And yeah. since then it, it made me go, oh, yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, after this last weekend of the election, we still don't have a prime minister as we discussed this. That's right. Uh, the bear is pretty – we're talking like full revenant at the moment. The yeah. bear is pretty angry right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, the bear requires no poking anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> it pokes itself. It's, uh, oh, yeah, no, I'll tell you, these days, like, and this is something that is one of those things where, where you have comedians or anyone talking about slippery slopes and they go, oh, well, this happened, so in the future that's going to happen. And you go, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, people panic about things that never turn up. But in this case, it actually has happened. We're back in 2006, 2007, that period when this kind of stuff first started happening with social media. Obviously, it's tied to social media. Um, when yeah, the Facebook had just, just started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, when the outrage factory first started getting the gear, people were saying, well, this is going to make people scared to make jokes. Mm. And, and, and even at the time, I said, no, no, come on. Like, you're a comedian. You, you, like, this is what you do. And, but these days, I mean, I can tell you that, like, us as a group, we probably are, le- are less gun shy than most because we've we've got we've we've already had our career in a way, you know. So so we have less to fear. But the young comedians that we work with coming up are scared shitless. They really are. Like when, whenever they're talking about any kind of joke, they go, "Oh, but how are people going to react? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there?" And you go, "This is not a healthy way for a comedian to first and foremost anticipate people being angry with you before you even think of the joke." And that's really how comedians approach things these days. And it's, it, it's, I mean, I think these things go in phases. It'll come, it'll go. You know, like I'm sure that, I'm sure that the generation who, who were 10 years old in, t- in 2010, say, by the time they're 30, they're going to be sick to death of all this shit. And, and you'll find society is unoutrageable. They'll be outraged out. And then, and then there'll be this sort of this new period of people just doing anything. But just for this next you know, five, ten years, it's, um, it's pretty grim for comedians, I'll yeah, tell you that. And then yeah. idiocracy. <laughs> That's right. Well, Trump's here. It's on the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, want, I wanted that film so not to be a, a documentary sent back in a time capsule. It's happened so fast, hasn't it? It really is. Plants need electrolytes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If only Terry Crews was the Prime Minister, though. That could actually be fun. Yeah, we'd sort things out. <laughs> with with <laughs> his pectoral Don't muscles. Don't about the independence. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with them. So you yeah. are, um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, there's so many things I want to start with. But yeah. I guess the one thing we do have in common is that we had a last name that people made fun of in high school. Yes, definitely. You had a lot of C's in your name. Oh, yes, I did. Well, actually, the, 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 the funniest... The funniest uh, mockery of my name actually involved no C's, no C's at all, which was um, I had a teacher who 
could best be described as racist, who um, spent an entire year when I was in year seven calling me Pizzarelli, which, uh, which yeah, it's not that close to Lichardello, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it, 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 it certainly stuck. And <laughs> Pizzarelli was a nickname I, I retained for some time after that. Because yeah. what I'm fascinated with, mm. I know this show I do talk a lot to people who have mm. figured out a way to make mm. that thing that first lit the fire in their tummy when they were like teenagers and mm. figured out a way to get paid for mm. it. Yeah. Where did the Chaser as a newsletter start? Whose idea was it to write it down? That was Charles. That was Charles. Charles, Charles was at, um, at uni, was in fact in before uni. Did you do stuff in high school though, didn't you? Yes, yes, right. I was going to say in before uni when we were at, we, me, Charles and Dom all went to Sydney Grammar together and there was a school newspaper there that was, well, it, was it wasn't even a newspaper. It was basically just a a, for, a forum for teachers to send messages to students of some kind. It was like a community nose board. And then Dom took it over and decided to turn it into a comedy newspaper for reasons I don't understand. Charles just fell in love with that. And Charles and Dom, I wrote my stuff. But to be honest, when I was in high school, I just wasn't a very good writer. So I'd spent all time just writing just music reviews that essentially were just excuses to just pay out Mariah Carey. That was basically it. It's basically, I just wrote a column for four years about how much I hated Mariah Carey, essentially. But, um, but Dom and Charles did all these comedy news articles and all the rest in the school newspaper. And then Charles, when he went to uni, because he was a couple of years ahead of us, he took over Onisoir, which was the Sydney Uni newspaper, and did the same thing and turned it into a comedy newspaper. And he loved that so much after he, after he finished being Onisoir that he, he tried over and over again to start his own comedy newspaper and they all failed, one after another. He, he did start a whole bunch of them and they all failed. And, um, but then it just happened to... He kind of stopped running it with his friends because he, he, all his friends got sick of making failed comedy newspapers with Charles. And uh, so he decided instead to just basically just advertise around the, the university saying who wants to get involved in another comedy newspaper, hoping that someone would get involved who hadn't heard of his other failed ventures. <laughs> and, um, and so the people who then got together were, were, I mean, they were loose friends of Charles, not really that close. These, are, these, were, these were all complete, and I wasn't one of them, by the way. These were all complete strangers essentially uh, which were Craig and Jules and Dom and to a lesser extent Andrew Hansen and uh and so that was Charles's baby he just wanted to do this comedy newspaper he didn't want to do tv or anything like that he just wanted to do a comedy newspaper and um and Charles has always been very political like the rest of us are less political than Charles is like Charles's family's all in the Labour Party and like, uh -huh. he, like his his sister is Verity Firth who was a New South Wales Labour minister until quite recently um and his mother is uh Meredith Bergman who's the the leader of the in the what the Senate equivalent in New South Wales, so he's very political, and uh, so that was the, the fire in the belly was very much Charles's fire in the belly. I have yeah. to say, uh, the I sort of was a Johnny come lately afterwards because um, after when the newspaper first formed, uh, the only person who really read it was Andrew Denton. I don't know how he, he got his hands on it, but somehow he got his hands on it, yeah. and he decided that these guys were really good, and um, which was more than I felt at the time because I, was, I wasn't a member of them and I read their newspaper and said, this is shit. But Andrew Denton thought it was great. And so he... How did you become a member though? How well, did you... this, this is where I'm going because Andrew Denton then tried to get these guys on radio and on TV. But when they got on radio, it was on Triple M and they were on like Sunday night on Triple M and they had no idea what to do because these guys were all uber nerds. All they, could, all they knew about was news and politics and they're on Triple M. You can't talk about politics mm. all day on Triple M, right? And so they wanted to have someone who could make jokes about pop culture. That's me. 
<laughs> that's, that's, so, Mr. that's Mr. Mariah Carey. Yeah. <laughs> so the um, so uh, like at that point in time, I'd written for the for the law review at uni and stuff. I'd been the director of that, and I and I I developed quite a line in making jokes about pop culture, about about TV and and uh, music and so forth. And they just need someone to do that. And I also do sport as well. So they just got me in for that. How did they find you? How did they know you? Well, I'm I'm Dom's friend. All oh, right, you stay yeah. in touch with Dom. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, Dom are good friends. So so Dom, they, they just said to Dom, we need someone to do this. And Dom said, I know exactly the guy. All oh, right. Yeah. And so uh, and so yeah. So he, he he got me in to do that. And I felt a bit sort of guilty about it because. I, yeah, I, I felt horrible. In fact, these guys have worked really hard in this paper, which I didn't write. They asked me to join originally, and I said no because <laughs> I didn't write it. And I, and to be honest, I thought that they were all a bit arrogant. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a newsflash for you. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, and, and then when when they're on radio, then I come in and sidle in and take advantage of their successes. I felt really guilty about that. So I ended up ironically working twice as hard as I otherwise would have, and I then joined a newspaper. And just wrote lots and lots of articles just as a penance because I felt so guilty about <laughs> about jumping in on their radio act. And uh, in the end, I became the person who wrote most of the, the newspaper in the later years because because um, I just felt guilty. And I still do, to be honest. I still feel like I yeah, I really got a really lucky break there because uh, the ship came in and I told them to bugger off <laughs> and uh, the, uh, until until the uh, someone else basically gave me a roll gold opportunity to. Right. To make it on radio, which is what I always want, actually wanted to do. Um, so yeah. just for just a bit of context, Andrew Denton in Australia, I yeah. guess for a time there, you could say he was kind of like our John Stewart for a little yeah, while there yeah, in the eighties, yeah. nineties. Well, yeah, to the extent that we had a John Stewart. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Car, or, or like the kind of Carlin-esque kind mm. of wordplay. Mm. Um, very much had a tradition of, of live television, live variety television, yeah. pushing the boundaries, putting um, terminally ill, young cancer patients with weeks to live live on air, talking to them about death. Yeah. Um, when he was in his twenties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He started really young. He was. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about mullets? Denton's, <laughs> Denton's blah blah bum blah blah blah. Blah mullet is yeah. all time great. That was in the eighties, though. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, it was in context. Yeah. He was one keytar away from being in pseudo echo. <laughs> uh, so, what is? Because this is the thing that you know. We, I, I do want to get to. Mm. What, in your opinion, is because clearly you have now formed into a mentor mentee relationship. Yeah, and you now have added extra layers to that. Mm. How important and how early in the game was, because now you guys, you've got a theatre, the Giant yep. Dwarf Theatre, where you do mentor young mm. comedians and you do give young comedians a space mm. to be shit mm. for yeah. ages. Absolutely. Because you had a newspaper to be shit for ages and we a Sunday did. night FM radio show yeah. to be shit. I had an overnight radio show to be yeah. oh, Terrible for five years. <laughs> you're, you're hooked on coke. Uh, well, unfortunately, not for '80s radio content. <laughs> I missed that boat. I missed that boat. Apparently, I'm not even lying. I worked with people who'd come up from Sydney, and they told me stories of like, oh yeah, on a good ratings day, you'd find lines chopped down on your desk. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, if this phone call goes well, uh, you never know what's going to happen. Oh, here we go. Message from uh, here we are. I've got a text from uh, my co-host Abby. Breakfast is up. Point two. There we it's go. It's always nice. It's always nice. Surveys out. Well, there we go. Good news. We were talking about mentors yeah. and the value of, of mentorship. Mm. Like mm. when you first met Denton, what was it? Mm. A, was it like the you know in the big in the bad news bears where the coach puts you all together and gets all the take it, e boys. I'm going to tell you how it's done. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I have to say, like he yeah he, he came with a whole bunch of he, he had Andrew Denton had a very very defined sense of exactly what works and what doesn't work. 
and he had all these rules, like the uh, which he which he'd tell us. So it was not like we wrote them down, but the he did drill them into us, and we have we do carry them through into the, even Such to this as. day. Like the rule of three, for instance. Mm. Like just the like just it's such a simple thing, but you just you just tell. You tell your jokes in threes. If you're gonna if you're gonna set something up, you set up with two examples before the punchline. Two every single time. Punchline, yeah, yeah, every single time. That's just a, a classic example. Yeah. Another thing, it's always funnier if it's a prop. If you have a joke and you can show a big prop for that joke, it's always funnier. <laughs> always. Like, just and the crappier the prop, the better. <laughs> like it just becomes funnier. Another thing, if um if you are going to make a joke, and this is the premise of the chaser, really, if you're going to make a joke, it is funnier if you make a joke to that person's face. Whoever you're making a joke about, if you just say exactly the same joke to that person's face, it becomes twice as funny. And, the, and, so, and so there's cheap laughs to be had by walking up to politicians with half-assed premises and just saying it to them. Then all of a sudden it's funny. And, and a giant like, prop. Yes, exactly. That's the chaser formula right there. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he came at us with, uh, well, yeah, with his theories and we all listened to him, like the sensei that he, that he is. And, um, and he's amazing, actually, Andrew, because he, he spent like, – he was doing breakfast radio when he was looking after us, right? When we did the 2001 show, he was doing breakfast radio. So he was waking up at 4 a.m., doing breakfast radio, then heading straight to the ABC, working with us until 10 p.m., and then going back home for, I don't know, three hours sleep before he did it again. He was EPing your um, uh, the, the first chaser decides. The, the election chaser. Election yeah, chaser, yeah, which was, was our first, first, first show. 2001. Yeah. yeah. And then when we did CNN, it was the same thing in 2002 and 2003. The, uh, he was just working so hard. And... Um, and there was nothing in it for him because we weren't making money because we were a shitty show on the ABC that wasn't rating at all. Do you remember the pitch meeting? Uh, well, to be honest, I wasn't part of that because I, in, when, when he first started, I wasn't there. Like I, I came in as a result of his shenanigans. Mm. And secondly, we have a well-established uh, hierarchy at the, the Chaser where people only do, this is one of the good things at the Chaser, people only do what they're good at and what they're not good at they just stay away because there's so many of us. Everyone's good at something. And one thing I'm really bad at is dealing with middle management. Mm. That's not my forte. That's Julian's forte. Mm -hmm. so, so Julian's the one who does, who does the pitch meetings and so forth. I'm the one who sp stays up all night logging and, uh, and processing information. And, and, the, and actually the mentor-mentee mentee thing you talked about, that's, that's really my area. So mm. the, um, But yeah, so I haven't been in any pitch meetings at all. Uh, in fact, I've barely exchanged two words with ABC middle management. So but you, um, for nearly, what, mm. 16 years, yeah. you've pretty much had a show on the ABC every year. Yeah. And yeah. you've never been in a pitch no, meeting? No, it's got nothing to do with me. That's, that's, that's Jules and Craig. That's their department. So the, having said that, Trust me, I pay for it with the logging because, like, for instance, like you're speaking to me right now at least like 9 a.m., right? Mm. Okay, I got home last night at 5.30, right, because I, I, was, I was logging until then. Right? The, uh, when I say logging, I mean... 5.30 a.m.? Yeah, 5.30 a.m. Yeah, I, I basically work 18 to 20-hour days right, when we're doing TV because I, I, I'm not the only one. Lots of people log, but I'm the one who stays up all night doing it, <laughs> which is, um, uh, yeah, because we have to watch all the news. There's a lot of news out there. There's two 24-hour news channels to watch to begin with. And so even when you're watching at double speed, that's a lot of news. And so, yeah, and I'm, I, that, that's kind of my job. I'm the person in charge of that. Now, we've got other – some of our, some of our, our young, younger team members do, do some logging as well. They def, I only give them a couple of hours a day to do because – because most people aren't as screwed up as I am. And then I'm in charge of processing it all and adding it to my own logging. So we've got the database. I don't want to bore people. But basically, that's my thing. That's, uh, my thing is not meeting middle management from the ABC. So I've gotten away with it. 
There's software for that stuff, man. What are you doing <laughs> doing it manually? Yeah, uh, it, it's well, see, the software, we're aware of the software. The problem with software is it's only, in fact, we have the software. We almost never use it because that's transcript based. Like if you want to know where how many times uh, Malcolm Turnbull says jobs and growth, you can find that very, very rapidly with the transcript software. If you want to, but let me tell you, what I've found is the funniest clips and the clips that you use are the ones based on tone of voice body language they're visual things mm. there's no transcript software for no, that no they're really uh, and so the uh and so yeah so when you watch your daily show and so forth they they clearly only use transcript software like they all their jokes are verbal jokes ah. they're all about what people say and hypocrisy which you can find with a search and but what we try to do to set ourselves apart is try to not do that mm. like the I mean, we do them as well but we try to yeah well we take advantage of the fact we have a logging machine with that logging machine is me. <laughs> it's, uh, so anyway, so um, I didn't mean to get on to whinge about that, but I was just saying that that's the reason why, that's, yeah. the, that's the benefit of, of being a little bit aspy. I don't talk to people, but I talk to computers. A little I bit. Do, I do a lot of that. A little bit aspy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you got know, you got to know your role. You <laughs> been, have you ever been like diagnosed or anything like that? Uh, I look, when, when I was... When I was a kid, my they, they didn't really have Aspie when I was a kid. They, uh, my my mother talking about Asperger's. Yeah, by yeah, the way. sorry, yeah, yeah. My my mum did take me to a psychologist yeah. because she thought I was very strange. Because <laughs> um, I, I yeah, my I basically spent my entire life just making lists and charts and things like that. Which so this behaviour is is I think consistent. I would like I used to I used to watch the the charts and I would. I would just make lists of the top 50 and then just play with them and stuff. And, and like, just, I'd sort of do little little formulas and stuff. It was very strange. Anyway, and I so I taped every song on the charts and and I would make lists of them all and, and I would write little diary entries about all the numbers. And, and my, anyway, my mum thought it was very strange. So she took me to a psychologist and um, a psycholo the psychologist said that, that I, was, I was just eccentric, and, uh, the, uh, which, yeah, which I am. <laughs> the, uh, and... Uh, and so, yeah, so, so I wasn't formally diagnosed with any particular thing. But mm. um, I think it's fair to say as the years have rolled on, people pretty much know where they am. Yeah. <laughs> but I think clear. it's important. I mean, you've, yeah. used, <clears throat> you've managed to use this yeah. thing that you mm. were able to do like yeah. a superpower as a kid without yeah. even trying mm. and made a career out of it. Yeah, yeah, it works very well. It's good. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it, and, and there's also other advantages. Like you, um, stunts are, are a lot easier when you can just – Switch yourself off and just and just disconnect from human emotion, <laughs> like because because stunts can be very awkward. Like you know when when you when you when you're doing, especially when you're when you're uh, performing a stunt in front of someone who is um, yeah who's not a bad guy, like who's just it's just you're just making a silly joke basically. Um, you can you can feel terrible like the uh, and so uh, and so you just, and so the ability to just disconnect from human emotion it helps. That's <laughs> for that one. That's also another advantage I have. Right. <laughs> so um, so yeah. It's uh, I'm not really selling myself very well. No no no, but I, no no no. But I because I talk about that on this yeah. show all the time. Yeah. You know, I talk about uh, that you know mental health and mental illness mm. and the spectrum of what is normal is so mm. vast. Mm. And that if one in four people have a mental health mm. issue, but they never talk about it. Mm. And you know, I've been quite open about having obsessive compulsive disorder, mm. but it's the thing that is kind of like a superpower that I have because I've got a brain that absolutely will not stop. I'm yeah. the fucking Terminator yeah, when yeah. I want to do something to the point where Audrey's like, look up, look up, look, <laughs> look back back in the room, back in the room because I'm just so focused Yeah, and I cannot, I actually physically cannot let go. 
I cannot let go. My brain won't let go. And I have to... It's almost like in the back in the old days when it was cool to slap chicks in films. <laughs> Obviously never cool to slap chicks, yeah. but she'll literally nearly have to slap me in the face to bring yeah. me back into the room. Yeah, yeah. But um, thankfully I'm on new meds now, which is actually helping things mm. a lot. Mm. So I'm actually able to be a little more present. Mm. But this is a thing that's helped me be able to memorize four pages of script in yeah. three minutes. No, I, this is the thing that's yeah. helped me be able to, and as you say, yeah. you know, when I'm on live television, yeah. just go, okay, yeah. this is it. As everything turns off, I'm in robo mode. Well, that, that makes sense. And uh, to be honest, I've, I, I'm not sure if you find this, but I find in TV and the, the world of entertainment, there's a lot of people with behaviours that <laughs> some would describe as quite unhealthy. <laughs> because I, I think it's a very unnatural industry yeah. it's, and, and it has demands that are unnatural. Yeah. And, the, and so as a result of that, the people who tend to succeed are people who have a very peculiar set of traits. And, uh, the, uh, and like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm not, I'm not, talking, I'm not talking mental illness. Really. I'm just saying that different people have different kinds of strengths and weaknesses. All right. And the people who have, so let's say, for instance, narcissism is not a, is not a weakness in television. <laughs> just pictured, but, just <laughs> pictured me as Liam Neeson. I have a very peculiar set of traits. <laughs> That's right. Slightly less violent than Liam Neeson's traits. <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, yeah, just, I, I, let's just say that there are very few people I've met in TV who are extremely successful who are normal, in inverted commas, normal. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like just they all have some kind of weird oddity which makes them good for TV. I'll yeah. say that the strangest people I've met in media mm. are print journalists. Oh, yeah. Never to be seen by the light of day. Oh, that's interesting. Very Only recently have you seen their photos. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, they yeah. were these anonymous bylines mm. and they were kind of, very, very odd. Uh, very, very, very odd. There's a fantastic documentary, documentary about the New York Times as it starts to fall to pieces in front of its very eyes as they're filming the documentary. Mm. And some of the journalists they profile are just wild. Yeah. It's great. Oh, 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 what's the documentary? Oh, I can't remember the name That's of it. That's all right. We'll find Basically, out but over the course of filming it, mm. the, the company downsized by about mm. 75% mm. Yeah, from okay. when they started mm. to when they finished filming. Mm. And it's just dealing, them mm. dealing with... Oh. With the, putting paywalls in, and you know the uh, the right like Twitter basically mm. obliterating their. Yeah. Um, there's a certain turning point, tipping point that happened in Twitter mm. that basically ended New York Times mm. as the where people went for news. Mm. And watching them try to manage that was mm. amazing. Well, look, I do think the whole media, yeah, as a, print journalists included, are um, yeah, they, they're all strange in their own way. They <laughs> really are. In fact, I'll tell you what. This is this is this is an, an interesting thing to add. Almost the only inverted commas normal person I've I've met who is really talented at TV is actually Craig. Yeah, yeah, Craig of the Chaser. Like, like we okay. Apart from Craig, we are all very screwed up. <laughs> all the Chaser, we are all weird in our own way. Absolutely no doubt. But Craig is this. He's just like a bloke off the street. He's just very, very, very talented. It's <laughs> it's strange. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what, I mean, like he's a real alpha male. There's no doubt about that. But there's there's normal alpha males out there. He's just, like he's just a regular dad. You know, like you know how people pretend to be? That's what he actually is. He actually is. When you ring him up, he's renovating his house or something or just, or just playing with the kids in the park. He's just so normal. And like, he's just got no affectation and no weirdnesses or anything. It's, um, yeah, busy. I'm busy watching, I'm busy watching Paul Murray with a chipmunk voice. That's, 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 that's pretty much what I do. That is exactly what I do. That's, that's, you know what I do for, for you, you do know this, but I'll tell your listeners, you know what I do to relax? I read nine hours a day of American political blogs. That's all I do to relax. During my holidays, that's what I do. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my downtime. 
That's not that's not Craig Rucastle's downtime. So you have <laughs> a significant other in your life. I do. You uh, I do. you have a, a, a live human female I who do. decided, yeah, I might even commit myself to you for life. Very strange. Not her, but her decision. How does she <laughs> deal with you? She obviously came fully informed. Yeah, she did. She absolutely did. That's 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 the first thing I always say myself when some people ask me these questions. She knew what she was getting into. Um, I think I think she. Okay, look, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and talk about what she sees in me, but <laughs> that would be rather conceited and also probably deluded. But what I, I feel like she sees the the positive sides of those negatives in that in that I'm talking about the obsessive nature of my work and she sees that as the fact that I'm very passionate like the, uh, and, the, and that I care about things. Like, and she likes that a lot. She'd probably prefer that I cared less about the things that I care about and more about other things. But, the, uh, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, like she... I, I, look, I, I can't explain what's going through her head. Yeah. <laughs> I really can't. But all I can say is that she, yeah, she, she met me after, after I was on TV. She knew our first date... I rang her up the day after our first date to tell her I'd just been arrested for streaking in a court. So, so she can't get more warning than that. <laughs> like she, uh, yeah, no, she, she came in fully informed. What would, your, what would your life like be without her? Um, look, to be perfectly honest, many of the things would be quite similar because of the nature of I spend most of my life in front of a computer and I would anyway. But I'll tell you what the difference would be. The difference would be that I would... I think that I I think I'd be a lot more insane. I think she I think she's she's a very grounding person. The uh, um, I think that uh, well I'd be a lot less happy. <laughs> that's a, that, that, that's a difference. Um, also also we got two kids as well by the way, and um, they they also have a very moderating influence as well. Like the, the, you just you just you just simply can't spend all your time in front of a computer when you've got kids unless you're a real asshole. <laughs> like, so you just need to to like and so this is what actually happens we have a peculiar situation we say for instance right now during the tv i get home at 5 five thirty, something like that that's when the kids are waking up and i'll spend you know, an hour or two playing with them then like you know like most sort of working working parents will spend time with their kids just before they go to bed i do the opposite i spend time with them when they wake up and then i go to bed at like 7 a.m when they're off to school um but uh it's yeah it's it's that whole the whole family thing I'd say is just it just I mean it's such a cliche to talk about perspective I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say def, I wouldn't actually I wouldn't even say that I wouldn't say it gives me perspective it's not a cliche if it's real yeah that's true that's true but I, I, it's not it's not like until the kids come around you're you're unaware there is a greater world out there there is a greater world there's obviously a greater world out there but I would just say that it it just gives you a time out it just gives you a, it, like it forces you to take a break like which you wouldn't otherwise take and then you become slightly more normal does it make- Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Make you think, now does it make you think about what if fucking TGB says, you know, let's give their address again, and now you got kids? Um, to be to be honest, I, I, it's a it's a weird kind of mindset I've got, which I don't think many people share. I don't, I kind of just have to carry on as if it's no, is never going to happen to me. Like the like, even though it has happened to me many times, you just you just can't you just can't be second guessing people because if you're second guessing people you'll never do anything and i know i become useless as soon as i start second guessing so the um so i just proceed on the basis that that the controversy is not going to happen even though at all times it ends up happening <laughs> they just, just keep on doing that so the fact that the kids doesn't change the way i i act for that reason and i, and I think that the, the day i do start to become scared I just got to give the game away, right? Because uh, as I said, I just become useless. Well, you're clearly not scared. You've been arrested. <laughs> I couldn't count. Actually. I, I, I lost count. What? Were you scared at all the first time you got arrested? Um, did you know? Like this might? Did someone take your side and go, okay, if we do this, there are cops. You'll probably go home in the back of a dippy van. Uh, they didn't pull me aside, but it was really obvious. The first thing I did where it was re- where I was in danger of getting arrested was it was the it was actually our first episode of the War and Everything was the stunt I was doing was we were going to the big day out and at that point in time there was a lot of sniffer dogs going around and I was turning up to the big day out with just meat all over my pants, like underneath my pants, underneath my shirt, underneath my my Drug sniffer dogs, basically. Yeah. People standing outside a massive festival yes. trying to pick up on people who are trying to sneak drugs. Yeah, in. and I thought it would be funny and we thought it would be funny for me to go there with just just packed with meat to distract the sniffer dogs and just see if the sniffer dogs would just jump all over me because I had all this raw meat. And they did. They were all over me. So I just, just jumped in. So obviously what was going to happen was the police would then, then, then take me into a tent, take all my clothes off, find meat and be very angry. That was the obvious result and that is exactly what happened. Um, I, to be honest, I, I was never worried about the police. I was worried about screwing up the stunt. Because when you go out to do these stunts, and this is the thing you're always worried about with the chaser, when you go out to these stunts, you're there with three cameramen, it's two days of shooting time, it's, it's, the whole thing costs thousands of dollars and you have to fill a slot in the show, which if you don't come back with something, needs to be filled with something else. So there's huge pressure to come back with something and that's what you get scared of. You get scared of coming back with nothing and the other guy's going, oh, thanks, thanks for laying us all down. So that's what you get scared of, not the police. Like the police, what are they going to do? They, they're going to arrest you. Okay, so what? Like you, you, they're not going to beat you, hopefully. They're not going to do anything that's going to really hurt you. They're, they're, they're professionals. And that's like what I said with APEC as well. People always ask about APEC. You're scared of getting a shot. Okay, no, how, how amateur would the police have to be? So let me just explain the APEC stuff. Yeah, that's the Australia Pacific yeah. Economic... C. C. <laughs> Something. Conference, I think. Conference. Yeah. It was 2007? 2007, that's 2007? right. 2007? Yeah. Um, I certainly remember I, um, <laughs> there was a lunch, a ladies' lunch here at the Bondi Icebergs <laughs> uh, just over the road. And uh, it was all the wives mm. of the prime ministers yep. uh, because, you know, we live in a white male heteronormative <laughs> society, so, of course, women don't have any fucking power. <laughs> and um, there were armed cops on jet skis in the surf 
yeah. shooing surfers away from the break. There were. With some sort of waterproof gun. <laughs> <clears throat> now, personally, I would have loved to see them like kind of jump over a wave and then draw John Woo style, you know, <laughs> shoot either side as they jump in a jet ski, but that didn't happen. No. Um, but you dressed up as Osama bin Laden. That's right. And went in a limo all the way through into the into the what they call the red zone. Which so is you the got area. through so many security points. Three levels of security. We got with past. fake IDs. With, yeah, well, with no ID basically. <laughs> it's a, and just a limo with a Canadian flag. They didn't ask to see our ID. We just drove straight through with this limo with a Canadian flag on it, and 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 several guys running alongside like the security did in JFK's time, which no one does now. Um, but it was like it was jewels and yeah yeah with earpieces in yeah yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and we got through three levels of security into basically we could have walked into George Bush's hotel like we just we got past all the levels of security to the high secure area and at that point in time we said okay well we got nowhere else to go we don't want to say hello to George Bush so we'll just get out and get ourselves arrested <laughs> and uh, which is what we did but yeah but and, and when we did that people were saying aren't you scared you're gonna get shot by the snipers because there were snipers everywhere. And you go, no, they, these guys aren't dumb. Why would they shoot someone who's dressed up like, like a school play? Yeah, you know, like I was dressed up like a cliche. There's no way they'd shoot someone like that. That's not a real threat. Like you just need to have faith in people doing their jobs. You know, it's a, and, and this is actually another football saying. You control the controllables. You control what you control and don't worry about things you can't control. You know, and, like, and so I'm not worried about what the police are going to do. I'm worried what I'm going to do and I make sure what I do is the – is the right th- is the best thing for the for the peace and let the police take care of themselves, which they they always do. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, do you have a standard operating procedure? Hello, chat. It's like uh, those two. That's fantastic. My favourite cartoon moment: the sheepdog and the <laughs> and the wolf yes. showing morning, Frank. Yeah. Hey, Ralph. And they clock in, and then they spend the day fighting each other, and they clock off. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. It is exactly <laughs> like that. Really? That's a great analogy. It is exactly like that with the federal police. Like we're doing doing the elections when we're going after Malcolm Turbo and Bill Shorten, they have the same security guards on every day. So it's not regular cops? No, no, it's not. They've got special federal police and and they have the same guys on the whole election campaign. So we see them 20 times. We see them over and over and over again and, and it does become routine. It's just like when the cameras are on, it's all in your face and as soon as the cameras are off and they've pushed us away, it's going, nice try, guys. Uh, yeah, you know, you know the game. Good luck. See you next week. You know, like it's like that. It's just really kind of... Just, yeah, that no one takes it seriously or, or, or takes it personally. No one takes it personally. Um, they're all very nice to us. It's great. Yeah, there was but, a time there when it was almost like Howard was giving you – Howard insisted on going for a jog every single morning out the front of his house in Kirribilli yeah. every single day. Yeah. And you were like, well, we'll just go see him at 10 past 7 when we want to do it yeah, every day. absolutely. That was, it was basically a schedule. Yeah, like he just – yeah, he was very stubborn about it. God, God love him. <laughs> uh, and, and look, I've got to say, I'll give full credit to Howard. And I, and I gave credit to him at the time as well, but in hindsight, even more so. He and his security never made any attempt to get rid of us, ever. No attempt. Like, they knew we were there. They knew we were there. They knew we were coming. They absolutely never tried to push us away. They never tried to they, – they barely tried to get in the way. They just made sure we couldn't make contact, and that was it. And if we didn't try to make contact – they would leave us alone, essentially. And there was just an understanding that they were there to protect. In fact, they said this many times, we're not his media managers, we're his security. So if you don't try and touch him, we're not going to touch you. And, like the, and they were true to their word. Like we could do anything we like with him, which I thought was magnificent. Because as soon as Howard 
was replaced by Rudd, that changed big time. Let me tell you, they became his media manager very fast. And like, and yeah, and these days with Turnbull, just you basically need to be a terrorist to get anywhere near him. Like you just, you need to you need to act like that. You need to plot things out. You need to ambush, and you need to like just because the security aren't going to let you within cooey of him now. Whereas yeah, Howard. And this is, this is not the changing times. That's bullshit because Howard was there during 9-11 and directly after when it was very high alert. But just they just, as far as they were concerned, as far as Howard was concerned, their role was not to protect him from the media. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, good on him. Yeah. So because of where the ABC is mm. and what the ABC tends to talk about, mm. people tend to accuse the ABC quite a lot of being lefty. Mm. And you, you said yourself you've got mm. Labor Party connections mm. within the group itself. Mm. Are you guys a bunch of kind of lefty commie? It's it's funny, you know, during during this show, the last show, Election Desk, we've had so many people going, oh, they've been captured by the right. And it's just because just of where the jokes have landed. Like it, Bill Shorten's easy to make jokes about than, than Malcolm Turnbull. You know, Malcolm Turnbull's running a small target campaign, so there's not much you can say other than he says jobs and growth a lot, whereas Bill Shorten is just a walking gaff. So like, so it's easy to make fun of him. So, but having said that, to answer your question, um, one of the, the strengths of the chaser, I feel, I think, feel there's two strengths in this regard. One is that we actually have a very wide range of political views, and to be honest, I'm I'm kind of on the right, me personally. Like I I, I suppose you're describing, I mean, because most of my influence is American politics, so everything I do with America is to the right of Australia, and um, the uh, and I suppose you'd call me kind of a slightly left leaning libertarian. But in Australia, a slightly left-leaning libertarian is actually a liberal. So the um, so I, I would yeah, I'm actually personally slightly on the right, just slightly. Um, from the centre. From the centre, yeah, right. yeah. Scott Abbott, who is one of our younger workers, is is undoubtedly on the right. Um, the uh, on the other hand, Charles is heavily. Andrew is basically a green. The um, like so we so we sort of there's there's quite a wide variety of views. And, um, yeah, and Craig and Jules are kind of in between a bit. Um, uh, Chris is kind of right as well, actually. So, the, um, so anyway, so, the, yeah, so we do oh, – no, he's not as right as me, though. He's more centre. Chris is more centre. But, um, yeah, so we do have a wide variety of views. That's one thing. And the second thing is that the most important thing, I think, with us is that we – none of us – you, you probably wouldn't be able to guess that from watching our TV show, who, who has what, because none of us believe in preaching. None of us think that our role is to is – to, wage political propaganda and go, oh, we need to show this person up as a hypocrite or something. Like, our role is to be a comedian. Now, often when you're doing comedy, you can make points as part of the comedy. It actually helps. But first and foremost, we think you have to be funny. And, the, uh, and, and, so, that's it. and so for that reason, I think, I think we hide our political views pretty well for that reason. I would say yeah. you have yeah, until yeah. just now. Yeah, so there you go. So, the, um, so uh, then, so because... So, for example, someone like John Stewart, yeah. he will because of the right in America mm. is, and like I'm not going to talk about Noah, um, Trevor Noah, yeah. the, the new guy, mm. um, uh, because frankly, it's not as great as it used to be, yeah. and that's fine. Um, but John's, <laughs> even when John, so John was kind of given the gift of mm. uh, stupid right wing mm. uh, politics yeah. in power yeah. for pretty much all of his. Mm. Um, Tenure, yeah. and then really stupid right-wing politics in opposition for all of his mm. tenure. Mm. Yeah, the left over there was doing some dumb shit, but it was never as funny as you know a, a Texas anti-gay, anti-abortion, 
senator who loves his guns being busted for soliciting blowjobs yeah. in a bathroom at yeah. an airport. I mean, yeah. that it just. I mean, what are you going to do in the writers' room? You just go next. I mean, yeah. like we just have to say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was able to kind of wag his finger a lot at the mm. right mm. there. But are you saying that w- with such a diverse group of people who are mm. who are writing for the Chaser? Is the where do you how do you come together on the gag? Is the gag as you said to me ten years ago? Is the gag just get people fucked off? Just get the outrage. If people can go, <gasps> how dare they? Then that's the joke. Look, I think I think yeah, I think when there is something where it's just there is just obvious unabridged hypocrisy, that's that's a real easy area for comedy. Like that because everyone can agree on that. <laughs> like regardless of your political persuasion. Everyone can agree that that is just hypocrisy, <laughs> just objective hypocrisy. And then, and there's also an easy way to make to make jokes because you can. It's easy to be sarcastic about hypocrisy. Like it's easy to to do extensions and exaggerations and all the rest of it. So I would say, yeah, if you can find some just blatant outrage, easy comedy, no problems whatsoever. Um, Australia is a bit harder in that regard because there aren't such obvious outrages. Some might disagree with me, but I would say compared to America, there are definitely not such obvious outrages. Um, and also the outrages don't change. Like for instance, there's only so many, there's only so many uh, jokes or, or pieces you can do about say asylum seekers. The story has not changed for 15 years. The, the, the fact that, yeah, the, like the, if you were coming from first principles, you'd go, okay, wh- where is the hypocrisy here? Where is the, where, where is the outrage? And you, you'd probably start with the, the New Zealand immigration figures. You go, we're worried about, about 200 people here when there are 50,000 people over there from New Zealand who can do whatever they like. You know, like all the time. But that point's been made a million times. Yeah. You know, like, so you, there's no point in making it for the millionth the first time. Um, and, yeah, and, so, and, so, and Australia is a lot like that, where a lot of issues just stay there. They don't go away. And unless you can think of a, a fresh angle, you... You just stop talking about it because you just don't want to be boring. You know, it's, uh, so uh, that's the challenge with Australia, I would say. The, uh, so, but, yeah, if you can find a fresh outrage, you go straight there. Is absolutely. there a centre line, though, of just like, oh, okay, so we've just had this election where we've pretty much split exactly mm. down the middle as a country. Mm. It's come down to, like I said, maybe by the end of this conversation we'll have a parliament. Mm. We don't know. It's mm. Tuesday. They're still mm. counting postal votes, of which mine was one. Yeah. Um, you know, is there, is there a... Is there a moral stance that you all share that you can make a joke from? Um, yeah, look, there's things that we all agree on. Like, like just like being a good human? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I was going to say the, the hypocrisy thing and the just when people are saying things that aren't true, that's something everyone agrees on. Like, for instance, like there was an obvious one in this election campaign about the completely made-up Medicare thing from Labor. Like, no one, no thinking person thinks that that wasn't over the top. What they were saying about Malcolm Turnbull was going to privatise Medicare. That was clearly over the top. Everyone knows that. Um, so that's something that we all agreed upon. Uh, the, uh, from, the, uh, from the other side, a, a great example from the other side is negative gearing. Like where, where you literally had at the same time, again, at exactly the same time, Malcolm Turnbull saying, that, and the whole right, saying that, that negative gearing does not affect house prices, but if you remove negative gearing, it will affect house prices, <laughs> which is obviously not true. Like one of them, you can't have both of them. One of them is true and one of them is not true. They can't both be true. So the, um, and I've got, in fact, we have a piece in this week's show, which is, will have been to air by the time you hear this. But um, 
where where we have a God love of a a master builders association lobbyist on Sky News being taken through by David Spears eight times from saying from David Spears saying so will it affect house prices and go no 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 and then. Twenty seconds later, yes, it will affect house prices, though. But will it affect prices? No, no, no. Yes, it will help affect house prices. And it's, like they just can't make up their mind. And so that's an example where if you have a brain, you can see that this is ridiculous and this is an outrage. So that's an area where. We have a but what about where it comes to things like? Uh, I mean, are we? Oh, honestly, it's almost like a golden era, a gift that keeps on giving, mm. where. Now we've got Pauline again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like what about when you are faced with just outright, yeah, sure, mm. people might be afraid that their precious white male privilege mm. is being threatened, mm. but does that mean that, you know, you need to elect uh, someone who's, I'm going to say it, quite um, bigoted mm. um, about anything that isn't white mm. in Australia or any change to white privilege in Australia mm. and, like, extraordinary views on Indigenous rights and Indigenous history and, and what Islam is and Islam isn't. I mean, this person is entitled to her opinion, mm. but so much of it is reprehensible mm. in such of the, the vast majority of society's mind except... 20,000 people from <laughs> Australia or well, whatever. Well, the thing, the thing about Pauline Hanson, which makes her, like, less from a comedy point of view, more just from, yeah, for just talking Pauline Hanson, the thing that makes her a difficult person is that I don't know if you've ever actually watched a full Pauline Hanson press conference. I imagine most people haven't. If you ever get an opportunity to, you will see the problem with Pauline Hanson, which is what she actually says makes absolutely no sense. Like when you actually sit there and watch a press conference, a whole press conference, she doesn't answer any question. Everything she says is idiotic on the face of it. To anyone listening, even her supporters would go, what is she saying? Like, like it actually isn't even English. It's just, it's just drivel. But that's not why people vote for her. People aren't voting for her because of, because of her well-thought-out policies. They're, they're voting for her because of what she stands for. And, like the, and that's a hard thing to argue against, what someone stands for. And when I say that, I don't just mean racism. I mean she stands for forgotten people. She stands for people, the people in Queensland who are voting for her, like, you know, because, you know, because it's a Queensland rural vote that's strongly Pauline Hanson. They're people who feel like society has moved on and forgotten them. And yeah, it's the Trump thing. It's the, it's the, it, like, no one who votes for Trump actually gives a stuff what he says. Like, you know, he's, he's, his policies are completely inconsistent and make no sense. And no one cares. Like, it's, and it's the same thing with Pauline Hanson. No one cares what her actual policies are. So you can't argue with them. And when people try and argue with her on a logical basis, they're not arguing where the fans are. The supporters don't care about that. You're arguing with yourself. Now, the, the, what the supporters care about is the fact that they feel passed by and she seems like she cares about them, which is true. She does care about them. Now, she doesn't have answers to their problems, but she does care about them. And the fact is that Malcolm Turnbull does not. Malcolm Turnbull doesn't give a shit about Bundaberg. Yeah, like so... So, and yeah, and the same with Bill Shorten. Like, that's just a fact of life, that, that, that our major politicians care about the cities because that's where the people are. And the people and the, the farmers who are committing suicide and all the rest of it that you hear about, like, apart from maybe you know, the odd national, most people just don't care about them. And so they're, they're right to feel forgotten. And so when they, they just reach out to anyone who they think cares about them, and that is Pauline and Bob Catter and a whole bunch of these kinds of these, these independents. 
And people try to argue with them by saying, well, don't be racist or whatever. They're just, that's a different plane to where their, their supporters actually exist, I think. And so I don't know, how, I don't know what you do about them because um, the only thing you can do about them is to solve the problems of the bush and that's going to cost more money than we have. So I don't know what you do. The, okay. Yeah. What about when you have to make a, a, a joke about it? Yeah. You've just and, – and really quite mm. wonderfully mm. encompassed why mm. people end up voting for mm. her. But someone like me is mm. really, really afraid mm. as, um, you know, someone who's – and I don't – I've never, you know, personally. I mean, I guess the other day mm. someone did scream at me, "You dirty fucking Jew! You eat children! You're fucking pederast!" In the street. <laughs> okay. Uh, look at you, you fucking Polish cunt! Uh, look, and she was a 75 year old woman. She must be well informed to know, H- here to know in, Polish background. Here in Bondi, I'm like, you're in Bondi. <laughs> yeah. Osh yeah. Ginsburg. Yeah. Like, nah. Um, I've had family that died in the Holocaust. Yeah. I was married to an Israeli. I've spent a lot of time in Israel. I've mm. seen what enormous, you know systemized hate mm. against a particular religion can look like. Mm. And when I see this anti-Islam thing that's mm. happening in our country right now, mm. and certainly in the UK, it's mm. fucking terrifying, I'm, I'm, I get really frightened because I'm like, mm. guys, we've done this before. Mm. We did this before, yeah. all right? It's really, really frightening. Mm. So what about when someone, Pauline, I care for you, I care for the bush. Oh, and mm. by the way, uh, no mosques. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm banning Islam. Mm. And in fact, I'm also putting in a royal commission to climate science because I think it's bunkum. Yeah. Um, like where are you able to then make a joke about what she personally feels afraid of? Well, what you do is you you completely ignore what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> and this is often the case. Like it's, it's, it's amazing the difference between the conversations we have in our office and what actually gets to air. Yeah. Like we are, we're, we're a real debating society in our office. We sit around talking about all this fiscal consolidation and all these high highfalutin concepts, but then we just make fat jokes on air. <laughs> But, um, yeah, you, you, you ignore the reality and you ignore what your actual beliefs are. Like I said, we, we don't talk about our political beliefs on air. And what you do is you say, okay, here is a, an obvious piece of idiocy when she's talking about, for instance, a classic case of Paul Hanson. I'll give you an example where she's very fond of saying none of our policies have anything to do with race. She's very fond of saying that. And then literally, some, I have an example that I, I logged where 15 seconds later... After saying that, she called for a royal commission into Islam. 15 seconds after saying that she had no policies, which had, I challenge you to name one of our policies that's about race. And, um, so, it, the, uh, so there are some obvious hypocrisies there. Which well, she would say it's about an ideology. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that, 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 that is what, what they tend to, tend to do. They tend to say Islam is not race, it's about ideology. Yeah. And what we say is we don't give a shit, we're making a joke. <laughs> so, so, you, um, so, yeah, you find what is, what is a, a, to you an obvious piece of hypocrisy you can make a joke about and you make a joke. And we're not trying to change the world. Um, but if you... If you find enough things that, that are a piece of hypocrisy, which people get angry about, and they, usually when people are angry about things, they want to laugh about them. It's a, it's a fertile area for comedy. And in a way, people, yeah, people end up, hopefully, even though we're not trying to make necessarily political points, people still get something out of it, hopefully. You say you're not trying to change the world. Mm. I am going to maybe take it almost all the way back around. Mm. It is, though, through making a joke. Like, there may have mm. been, and I distinctly remember, mm. there was that there was a particular teacher in high school that I was terrified about mm. 
terrified. He was a giant man. Ex first, first, I think he was like even an ex All Black. Mm. He was terrifying. Um, but then someone made it over lunchtime a joke about an affectation that mm. he had. Mm. And the next time I saw him, I was like, oh, he does too. Suddenly, this person that was big and scary was no longer big and scary. Yeah. And I then became emboldened to talk back to this person. Mm. Now, you know as well as I do that making a joke about these people can shake a little bit of the foundations of what someone's belief might be about them and then for open up perhaps scrutiny. Look, that, that is true. That is true. Every now and then you hit pay dirt and, and, you, and you enunciate something that hasn't been enunciated until then and you provide a, a particular handle that people can grab on and then that sticks. There is no doubt. In fact, that is what politicians try to do to each other. They come up with little zingers about each other which stick. And the uh, and so yeah, look, that is true. That can happen. But I would say, I would say that 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 is rare. And you need to fill twenty six minutes of airtime <laughs> every week. That's not that. That's right. That's right. It's an ABC half hour twenty six. Yeah, that's right. We're over here. We're over twenty two. <laughs> yes, that's four extra minutes. Trust me, that's a lot. It's a lot of telly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I would say I would say that. Look, if you if you do that, then and okay, I should say something by the way. We care about the truth in vote commas. Like we. We often argue with each other about something being satirically wrong, like where we go, because you can make jokes that are just based on an incorrect, okay, jokes are always based on exaggerations, simplifications, all the rest of it, but, but those simplifications can be incorrect. Like you could be arguing a cliche or something which you say, you know what, this is just unfair and we try not to do that. So, so I am being a little disingenuous when I'm saying, oh, it's all about the jokes, all about the jokes. There are jokes that we won't make. And, like, and, and that happens a lot where we will argue with each other and go, you know, that is just plain satirically wrong. We cannot say that. And so we try to, at the very least, um, be fair with, with the jokes. Even if we ne don't necessarily agree with the politics of the joke, we say at least that is objectively a fair area and a fair, a fair simplification at the very least. And uh, I think we're pretty good like that. I, I think it's very rare that we put something where, where you go, you know what, that is actually just really unfair. Um, and so we try and do that. That is one thing we do. And the other thing I should say that even though I don't believe in comedians preaching, and I, and I think it's annoying to I think it's actually a betrayal of your audience to, to try and sneak your political beliefs, to use, exploit the fact that you are entertaining those people to try and, change their mind to your political beliefs. Um, I, I, I don't like when people do that. I, 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 speaking of myself, I, I do hope we do one thing in terms of inverted commas changing the world, which isn't really changing the world, but just in a, little, in a little way. I do hope that we help people just calm down a bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get so sick of, coming back to where we began with the outrage factory, I get so sick of people just taking everything so seriously and getting so angry with each other. Like, Always, you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to hate them. You know, yeah. like just and I, and people get so worked up. You know, especially with social media, they get so worked up, and they and every pissy little topic, which doesn't matter. Every story of the day, this guy said something that was that was uh, uh, undesirable. This person they made a gaffe, whatever. You know, like this this policy isn't perfect, and people get take it so personally, and they get so angry at each other, and I just feel like that. That mindset is the enemy of society. That is not a way democracy can work. And like, and just, and the, and the more that sets in, the worse it is for everyone. And I hope that our very presence helps work against that. Like that, that people, that like the more jokes you make, 
and the the less angry you yourself are on TV, uh, the better it is for everyone. You set a, you set a an example for especially kids who are watching this this show and who you know because I know that I I grew up on the Late Show in the early nineties and they formed me for life. They really did. And the uh, and so you can blame them. <laughs> but uh, but I, I hope that the thirteen year olds who grew up on us are take things a little less seriously than some of their parents do. do you, uh, speaking of parents, do you, I mean, you know, when you look at the way people vote in Australia and you see, like, fucking angry Anderson on the bloody ballot. <laughs> God, I felt good to one five women. Well, let me tell you. Was, <laughs> I'm a below-the-line kind of guy because I sure. really like to... I even got the form wrong and it took me 10 minutes to oh. realise that I, oh, shit, I had to go back and get on the form, oh, start wow. all over again. Jeez. But I got I won, You're the reason for the cues. Yeah, but I won 5-1. I won 5 one, It felt really good. It felt really Very good. good. Yeah. Um, do you worry about the Australia that your kids are growing up into? Um, or the world, you know? I, I, a world that will be at the same time on fire, underwater and at war look, uh, and thirsty. I, I must say, I must say, I, I did, um, I did uh, back in 2007, I had a fortuitous conversation with some of my chaser compadres where I was saying that, I was saying to them at the time, I felt like we were heading into a few decades of pretty bad times, just in terms of just, in terms of uh, uh, just demographic crunches in the West, um, the fact that China, the China boom wasn't going to last forever, uh, like just, just you know, more sort of broad, force. obviously climate change, the bill was going to come due at the same time as resources were getting stuck and all the rest of it. Like, just, like I, I won't go into the details, but I, I am feeling, I am feeling like, like my initial prediction is is quite vindicated at the moment, and is certainly heading that way. But I'm actually I'm generally quite optimistic. Like in that the uh, yeah okay, there are a lot of things that are that are bad, and a lot of things that are getting worse. But yeah, you know, there are things that are getting better as well. And I feel like two things. I feel like if you if you focus on what happened last year and what happened this year, things can seem like they're historically bad. But if you look at history. They're not historically bad at all. <laughs> like, like if you look at 50 years ago and you look at, and you look at, it was, well, obviously, you know, World War II, that period, World War I, that, but not even that. Just go way beyond that. Go back to the 1400s. Look at how society lived then when serfs and, and you know, like just like human beings are, in my view, are just completely uh, unarguably getting better and better. We are getting more educated. We are getting richer. We are getting, we are getting more civilized. We are getting more considerate. We are getting less aggressive. There are less wars. There is less violence. As much as it seems like there is more violence, there isn't. There is less violence. We talk about, oh my God, there's an assassination or something. Back in, back before World War One, there were literally hundreds of people getting assassinated. Hundreds of 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 uh, the anarchists were made today's Islamic terrorists look like pussies. Like like just we. I think we forget history. Mm. And I think when you, the more you look at history, the more you realise that this is a really good time. <laughs> and, and, and as bad as it seems, when you, look, when, you, when you pull out the magnifying glass, in 50 years' time, we're all going to be dead and there will be new people and they will have learnt the, from these lessons. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to have their own problems. There'll be new problems, but we're moving in a, over time. We're moving in a certain direction. And that direction, I think, is good. So, yeah. So I'll say, and I think that the climate change and all that kind of stuff... That's a problem. That's a real problem. But, yeah, 
I think in a hundred years' time, there's going to be other problems where we go, well, this is a real problem, and we were, <laughs> and we will have dealt with that. Yeah, you know, like just the and it's uh, and that's that's yeah, that might be blind faith, but that's just the way. I'm not saying we do nothing about it. I'm not saying therefore you put your head in the sand. I'm just saying just calm down. Just calm down. You know, like. Only, we talk about race, we talk about Pauline Hanson. Okay, let me put this to you. I, I, my focus is always America because I'm obsessed with America, but at least, at least you'll pay attention to this. <laughs> it's, um, it's, um, in the only, actually, I'll, I'll make it to Australia. Was it 1968, the referendum where Aborigines became people? Yeah, 1967. 67, 1967. Okay, that's, that's what? That's 50 years ago. There are old people. 10 years before you were born. That's right. I was going to say, there are old people who are alive today who were adults when Aborigines weren't considered people. Like, things change fast. And I know, I know we look at it and we go, well, they're not changing fast enough. But they're still changing fast. When I, when I was a teenager, when I was 17, homosexuals were bashed routinely, openly, for being gay and it was a thing. It wasn't just it happens and then people censure it or whatever. It was a thing. Like after, after Mardi Gras, you would always hear about some dickhead going down Oxford Street and bashing people. This is in the 90s. Like it's the, and yet here we are and almost everyone supports gay marriage. Like things change fast. I know from two years or three years, they don't, they don't seem to change very fast. But over 20 years, over 40 years, like they're changing a lot. Give people a chance to die and be replaced. <laughs> It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It was funny. I was handing yeah. out I was handing out flyers for Jimbo uh, yeah. at uh, Kelkel North, yeah. uh, and it was hilarious, man. Watching <laughs> um, so two things about gate. All right, G A I T E. Yeah. Um, no, G A I T. Sorry. I was <laughs> yeah. Picturing the other one, the T E, halfway sure. through spelling G A I T. Yeah. So um, I was standing about 45, 50 meters away from the the, the entrance. Yeah. And you could tell two steps inside the entrance way by the very way they walked that's white privilege <laughs> yeah you're not taking a fly from me yeah. no way no way yeah. and you could tell the people who are going to come straight for the liberal guy with mm. his uh, how to vote card mm. you could tell by the way they walked mm. that they were coming straight for that guy yeah. um you've obviously seen him walk way more times than i have but i've never <laughs> seen tony abbott walk Oh, penis first. Yeah, yeah. he works. He walks penis first. Like his yeah. dick is the first thing to enter a room. Yeah, and yeah. and I was like, wow, that is quite the swagger. It's like yeah. the, almost the, the younger brother in Peaky Blinders kind of walk. <laughs> you know, he's almost had a almost yeah. had a bit of that. But looking at the demo, every person pushing a pram came straight to me. That's asked for a James yeah. Matheson flyer. Yeah, five weeks, ten grand. He got over eleven percent of the vote. Mm. Pretty fucking good yeah. for a bloke who came yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. This doesn't make you feel optimistic. We talk about the sewer of social media, right? We all know, we talk about, you're talking about white privilege. We, we all know about the sexism and the abuse on social media, right? Okay, just last week, uh, Zoe and Kirsten did a stunt on our show where they were, David, Le this is going to take a bit of explaining, I'm sorry, but David Linehelm. Oh, this is why you couldn't come last week. Yes, <laughs> it was, it was, it was. You were supposed to come here last yeah. week and I was like, oh, he's busy. Then I see yeah. the news next day, ah, that's why. Yeah, that's right. David Linehelm uh, supported this, uh, these wicked camper vans, which are uh, they, they're basically they're vans with, with big slogans on them that are extremely sexist, like things like. Um, Don't laugh, your daughter could be inside. Yeah, yeah, uh, like yeah, uh, what's better than, uh, the good thing about, about, uh, get, get a woman giving a, a sorry a bitch giving a blowjob five minutes of silence that kind of thing right the um, uh, 
uh, I'm happier than, than a, a bitch with a cock in her mouth, that kind of thing, right? And, um, and David Linehelm is a libertarian and, the, and he goes, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. And you know what? I'm a libertarian too. So, the, uh, so I can understand people talking about freedom of speech. But he went a, bit step, he went a step further and he didn't just say freedom of speech. He said anyone who doesn't find these funny is a wowzer. It's, uh, like he actually, he actually just decided that everyone must find these, 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 these vans funny, right? Anyway, so we thought what would be a funny thing to do is to test his sense of humour by turning up outside his house. Well, actually, it didn't have to be outside his house. We just wanted to turn up to him, but we only found him outside his house with a van that had all exactly the same slogans on it except we replaced the word bitch with David Linehelm, right? So I'm as happy as David Linehelm with a cock in his mouth. I'm you know, like the best thing about, about David Linehelm giving you a blowjob, five minutes of silence, etc. right? Exactly the same slogans, word for word, just replacing the woman with David Linehelm. And, um, and he was very unhappy, right? He was very, very unhappy. Now, he went on social media and did a lot of bitching and butt hurt and all the rest of it. The, uh, and, um, and he was, I won't go into details about all his complaints, but the fact is that he, he then... Not only did he retweet everyone who was saying anything negative about the way Zoe and Kirsten looked, he tweeted some photos of them because he took some photos of them, some rather unflattering photos, and, um, and particularly of Zoe, uh, who wasn't not, was not at all looking her finest in these photos, and, and a couple of people responded with, oh, yeah, look at her, and, yeah, you know, oh, she's a bit fat, she's a bit ugly, whatever, and he retweeted all of them, right, which is a strange way to, <laughs> to, to respond, but anyway... Given that, what kind of reaction would you expect from his supporters who are, who are all about freedom of speech? They, they've got a lot of white male privilege, let me tell you, those guys. Um, they feel like they're being, they're being silenced with their beliefs by the left and there's kind of a greeny kind of get up kind of thing trying to shut them up and these women are coming to shut them up. They're like, and look at them, look at them. What kind of response would you expect? I would expect from Twitter that at least, you know, 10% or 15% of his supporters would come out with some really nasty shit. I was expecting an avalanche of nasty shit, right? There were maybe 500 tweets directed to David Linehelm. These are directed to David Linehelm, okay? So his supporters would have been responding to David Linehelm. Sure, plenty of his enemies as well, but his supporters would have been responding to him. Out of those 500 tweets, there were four that were about appearance, less than 1%. And I just thought to myself, five years ago, that would not have been the case. Five years ago, it would have been 20% or 30%. It would have been a torrent of, of oh, look at her, oh, fat, oh, ugly. There would have been so much of that. Oh, bitch. There would have been so much of that. And, I mean, especially given the slogans themselves they were talking about were so sexist. So the supporters of those slogans, presumably... Some of them are going to be sexist. Four tweets. And I just thought to myself, yeah, there is progress being made. <laughs> there is progress. This is progress. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so there is cause for optimism, I feel. Uh, you mentioned two of the mm. people that are part of the kind mm. of chaser, mm. uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, lineage, okay, <laughs> from Denton down. Mm. There's Denton and there's you. Mm. Um, by the time we get to all of you, that's a lot of dudes, Chaz. <laughs> Are you actively seeking women to start uh, to bring into the organisation? Look, I'm not going to lie to you. We were extremely conscious from very early on that we were all men and we're very, very keen to get some women into the organisation from very early on. And, and we tried a few times and failed, like where we got 
a woman involved and she, she just didn't gel. They're like, and it's hard to gel because we were an already formed group that had known each other for five years mm. and this person came in. And when I say didn't gel, I don't mean we were antagonistic. I just mean just her sense of humour just didn't quite work with our writing. It's okay. It happens. Yeah. It can happen. It does happen, yeah, and, and it happened a few times. Um, so, yeah, early on we were very, very keen to get women in and we certainly wouldn't get another man in <laughs> because we were just so conscious of that. Um, but once we started getting women in, we felt, okay, this is less of a, a, a weeping sore now. And so these days we're not, we're not, we're just taking all comers basically. Mm. Whoever, and just so happens that a lot of them are women. And like, and yeah, and, and also recently Alex Lee is non-white as well, which is nice. Um, so yeah, so, so it thankfully, like I feel like if you retain a really open mind and you go out of your way to try and, find talent wherever you can, there are a lot of women and a lot of non-white people out there. You yeah. know, like so, so you don't need to have a quota. Like it's, they, they will present themselves. Having said that, I'm not going to pretend that we're not happy about having more, more non-white people and, non, and more women. That, that's, that's good. Mm. You know, the, um, but you know, if, if you ask me if we're presented a, a choice between a white man who is awesome and a and a, an Asian woman who is okay, yeah, look, we're going to pick the white man. But there are plenty of awesome Asian women out there. Mm. <laughs> so you don't need, that's a false choice. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the, okay. uh, so the uh, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so yeah, we are, we are trying to address it, but less frantically than we used to. Is it? And, and we don't need to anymore, actually. So how's, so it, uh, how's it make you feel when you uh, are being brought, you know, writings from like a 21-year-old bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, beret-wearing, been up all night talking about Descartes kind of person? I, like I have to say, I love it. I really love it. Like this part of my career is my favourite part by such a long way. Yeah. I, 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 I was always uncomfortable on camera. You'll notice that recently I've been off camera a lot more than I've been on. Uh, like I, I, you have to be on camera every now and then in Australia because people forget you exist if you're not on camera. It's just a bit of a shame. In England, they've got more of a culture of producers than we do yeah. in Australia. Um, but, uh, but yeah, apart from just doing the bare minimum to make sure people remember I exist, I love being off air just helping people. Like, mm. like the, they won't say helping, but I mean, what, what I'll do is they'll write the script, they'll bring it to us, I'll fine-tune it with them, well, then I'll... I'll I'll give them some advice about performing. I'll then sit in the edit suite with them and try and make it work. I'll, t I'll point out the things they could have done better, whatever. And then, and, and I think actually the most important thing, the thing I like the best is just, and this is the theatre as well, is just providing a space for them to fail mm. because you just, you just don't start good. No one starts good. Like you were saying, okay, there's the odd genius. Like I'm sure, I'm sure Hamish started good. Fuck him. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> but, um, but, um, at 15. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, but with, with the exception of that bastard Hamish. But he can't be who he is without, without Andy. But that's, that's, that's the thing. You meet, and it's Will Anderson's joke. Yeah. But you meet Andy and you yeah. go, how can one person be so fucking funny? Yeah. It's not fair. It's not fair. And then yeah. you meet Hamish and go, what? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But anyway, the, with the exception of those two, uh, the, um, the, no one starts good. Yeah. And you just need an opportunity to spend a few years sucking. And the best thing about our setup which I love is that we've got, we've got basically a little factory here where people can log for us. And there's no, we haven't asked them to write. We just get in the log. And when you log, you sit there watching other people write scripts and you learn from just, just watching the way the script writing process works. So they sit in the meetings, they see what we do, they don't say a word, they just watch. And then, they, and then when they log, that takes a bit of comic 
it, it takes a comic mindset to find humour in just boring shit, you know? Mm. And so that's good practice. And so they hone their comic instincts from logging while they're seeing the writing me. And then after a couple of years when they feel comfortable, they write something. And it always sucks. And, but then we, we take them through carefully about how they can improve it. And, and often the, the people who are in between them and us in age help them as well, which is great. Mm-hmm. There's a little factory of everyone helping everyone else. And, the, uh, and, and, the, and, and eventually we give them a, a tiny opportunity. We go, okay, well, the, this one-minute sk- sketch, this, this will get up and we'll and – we'll, and in the meantime, we get them to do cameos, little cameos. They just get honed their performing skills and then they get slightly bigger ones and slightly bigger ones. And, yeah, basically Zoe, for instance, take Zoe. Zoe is someone who joined us in, I believe, 2012 and it was only really the end of last year that she became really like just like an, a full equal. It took her three years. And she progressed at her own rate. And now she is, in my view, probably the best person in the group. You know, she's, so, she's such a great performer, such a great writer. And, by the way, she's great behind the scenes with edits and, and producing. She has a lot. That's another thing people don't talk about. There aren't a lot of female producers in TV either. And the, uh, in reality, they're everywhere. <laughs> I promise you. Oh, well, okay. At least not our side. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so we've been trying to, to get them to produce as well. Yeah. And the... Uh, and, um, uh, anyway, and I feel like that side of things, just giving them time, giving mm. them an environment where they, can, where they can make mistakes for several years and gradually find their feet, I really like that. Um, yeah. I think it's good. If people ever wanted to become a logger, how do they do it? Um, look, to be honest, the, there is, you can email me. Like, people yeah. will. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's okay. That's okay. We've, we've, what we tend to do when people email, uh, email us, we tend to give them work experience jobs. And if, they're, and if they look like they're a goer, then when there's a slot, we get them in as a logger. Like it's just, yeah. And then apart from that, just be around because this is what we do. I go around, like every Melbourne Comedy Festival, I go down and watch everything. Yeah. <laughs> just, and I'm not interested in the people who are selling out. I'm interested in the, in the people who are performing to seven people. And you just yeah. go, you got the right mindset though. Yeah. Because yeah, that's the other thing. I find that you talk about 21-year-olds who are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah. We'll give them a go, but I'm less interested in the 21-year-olds who are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm more interested in the, in the 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds who have been beating their head against a wall mm. for the last four or five years. Who've had the world nowhere. disappoint them. Yeah, exactly. You'll peel them off the bottom. <laughs> yeah, because as, as I'm sure you can describe to, television is hard. Yeah. And, like, and, and I much prefer someone who really wants it because yeah. they've been working really hard and they've been getting nowhere. Yeah. And they... And they Desperate for the opportunity, and like when they get the opportunity, they're going to grab it, and they're going to be prepared to work eighteen hours, and they're going to be prepared to to not have a life. Yeah, people don't want to hear that. Here you are, one of the producers and executive producers of one of the longest running satirist teams in Australian television history, and you are still doing eighteen hour days. Yeah, sorry, people don't want to hear that. (laughs) It's hard. It really is. The thing is, uh, you've never made it. This is another thing which I'm sure you'd agree with. You've never made it. Never. You've never made it. There's if if. You, okay, you've got your name recognition, but the fact is that name recognition is a, is a positive and a negative. It's a positive because people at least will be, will be aware of you, but it's a negative because people go, oh, fuck them again. Mm. Someone fresh, please. And there's always someone new. Mm. And, and comedy is always changing and you've got to reinvent yourself over and over and over again because otherwise you're out of date. And, mm. the, uh, and so, yeah, so, yeah, so you've never made it. You've just got to keep on working just as hard as when you started.
I love it, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. No so worries, stoked gosh. you came over. Yeah. Oh, it's a pleasure. With your Thank you. Phenylalanine supplies. Oh, it's great. <laughs> the phenylalanine. This is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take the photo, right? Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks. And that was Chaz Lichardello. You can uh, watch him every week at the moment in Australia on the ABC or overseas if you're using a uh, VPN, not that uh, I advocate these sorts of things. Uh, the show is called The Checkout, and uh, you can see what The Chaser are up to there. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed listening to that and had a bit of a different perspective on what The Chaser are about and what makes up The Chaser, uh, particularly the political... Uh, views of the people that are in the chaser i found that really really interesting uh, once again you can find chaz on twitter at chaz lich c-h-a-s-l-i-c-c he's also chaz underscore usa um thank you so much to everybody who uh supports the show patreon.com slash osher if you think it's for you if you want access to those exclusive episodes i personally think they're super worth it uh, and if you haven't got those exclusives yet, just drop me an email, send osher email at gmail.com. And if you are a supporter and haven't got those exclusives yet, just uh, just let me know and I'll try and chase it up. Hey, thanks. You're awesome. I'm uh, going to get on my bicycle because things are better when I ride my bike. I know that for a fact. All right. Have a great week. Until I talk to you next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.